Has anybody ever seen this? This? Has anybody ever seen that? And of course, this is another, this is a full screen. This is our first full screen. Has anybody ever seen that? And come back to me about seven seconds on those full screens. Come back to me. Do you remember it? Come on back to me. I want to talk to him. Don't, about seven seconds, Jeff. It's all I want on those. <laughs> That's called the daily bread. I grew up with that. It, it was a little box-like thing shaped, plastic, shaped like a loaf of bread. And as you can see there, throw it back up, it had little cards in it. I don't know how many ours had in it uh, at least probably I don't know 7,500 cards altogether. I think you could even change them out thanks Jeff <coughs> and they had uh, scriptures on them a daily promise and so at the breakfast table we'd get our daily bread <laughs> and we'd pull out one of the scripture cards and read it comment about it pray together so on and so forth that was the idea of it I have two teachings for you this morning as we're headed into this new year. Your view of the Bible in this one single area will impact the rest of your life and happiness. What area am I talking about? I don't often do this, like tell you what I'm going to talk about before I talk about it. It's like revealing the, the line of the joke before you've told the joke. The Bible is about a story, not law code and proof texting. And number two, second teaching. And I've, I've coupled these together because as I reflected on my past year, these two things have made the greatest difference in my life. And I expect that in my awareness of them for 24, they will make even a greater difference and I hope they will for you too. Number two life is a journey marked by seasons of change oh come on Jeff that's a little simplistic yeah I know and it's the simple things the little foxes your greatest disappointments will come from unmet expectations, especially ones based on the, quote, can't lose verses in the Bible. We need to talk about that. I submit to you that true happiness for 224 comes from being aware of right now, living in now, not even in the future of a Bible promise. I mentioned the term proof texting. What is it? Proof texting. Proof texting is a term that we often use in the context of Bible study and religious discussions. It refers to the practice of citing a specific Bible verse or passage to support a particular argument or point of view without considering the broader context of the scripture. This method can be problematic for several reasons. Number one, selective reading. 
Proof texting typically involves picking out verses that seem to directly support a particular belief or doctrine while ignoring other passages that might present a contradictory or a more nuanced view. Context ignorance is another issue with proof texting. It disregards the historical, cultural, and literary context of the verse or the passage. Number three, theological isolation. Proof texting isolates a particular area from the overall theological and narrative or framework of the Bible, leading to interpretations that might be inconsistent with the broader message or story of the Bible. And finally, we run into a risk of manipulation. This approach of proof texting can be used to manipulate scripture to justify a wide range of beliefs and practices, some of which are contrary to the overall teaching and story of the Bible. Let me give you one that's not that far removed from our own personal history. Slavery. You do know that in the history of this country, America, not that long ago in the 1800s, slavery was actually approved, practice. People owned slaves. Landowners had slaves that they purchased and bought, and they owned them as like property. And those choices and that lifestyle and that evil was actually approved, promoted, and supported, thank you, by interpretations of Scripture, the Bible. When it didn't, but through proof texting, you could certainly make the Bible, or it could be suggested that the Bible approved of that. Let me give you another example of this in Ecclesiastes. Chapter 3, verse 1. Tell me if you've ever heard this verse before. To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. Right? We've all heard that. It's on billboards, it's on placards, it's on Christmas cards and car greeting cards, and you've quoted it. Well, you know, to everything there's a season. You know, there's a time to be born, there's a time to die, there's a time to break down, there's a time to build up. It's that passage of about eight verses in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. See, if you don't understand the history, if you don't understand the culture, if you don't understand the Hebraic thought of what went in to pinning the words in Ecclesiastes, then you can proof text that to teach all kinds of things out of that book that the rest of the whole Bible, and in particular and especially, and most importantly, Jesus, did not teach. The Hebrew word, Ecclesiastes, means collector or collection. In rabbinical teachings and Hebrew thought, Ecclesiastes is viewed as the penitent reflections of an older, disillusioned Solomon in contrast to what Christian teachers today use it as for teaching Christian doctrine. 
that was never imagined by the Hebrew writers and the rabbinical teachers. This book, Ecclesiastes, wrestles with the meaning of life in the context of death. It frequently repeats the phrase, vanity, vanity, all is vanity, as it explores our efforts to create meaning in life, such as through building monuments or amassing wealth or overcoming the temporariness of life. And as a whole, the Hebrew understanding of this book was very simply, to everything there is a season, but that encapsulates a complex and skeptical view of life's purposes and the pursuit of meaning. Now, here's something that until the last decade of my own life, study and journey spiritually, I never considered. Jesus never taught Ecclesiastes chapter 3 in the way that we refer to it and reference it through our proof texting. A time to die, a time to kill, a time to break down, a time to hate, a time to war. All of that is in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And guess what? We have Christian teachers in the pulpit today who approve of war who believe and teach that the word of God is behind America in particular defeating its enemies of other nations through war or that in any other context I spoke of America but and that's that's because so much of white evangelical teaching misteaching on the subject of war is found here in our own country as opposed to others but really worldwide the Bible can be used to underwrite and support the teaching on war and that it's okay to hate somebody who's not like you or to take their life to kill them if they're not like you and oftentimes oftentimes for religious reasons a time to die a time to kill a time to break down a time to hate and Jesus never taught that in fact I think if you're even nominally aware of how Jesus taught what Jesus taught you know he taught quite the opposite of that in fact he said what love your enemy do good to those who persecute you if a brother slaps you in the face turn your cheek and let him slap the other one if he tells you to carry something heavy out from the grocery store to the car <laughs> offer to meet him at home and carry the groceries in I mean that was Jesus' approach to loving to going the extra mile alright watch watch this when we think about the little loaf of bread and how that we take scriptures out of the Bible in a manner of proof texting in order to provide ourselves with either a promise that we are going to pray or something we are going to a religious belief we're going to stand on despite the fact that the rest of the Bible even Jesus may not have taught it we are in real jeopardy in our personal lives of missing the happiness and the true joy that comes from being a Christ follower 
and making the lives of other people miserable in our religious Phariseeism. And it all comes through this effort of proof texting, the daily little bread. Now there's nothing wrong with you having a daily bread and pulling out a scripture and praying over that and rejoicing and thanking God for your day and believing he's going to be involved in your day and do great things for you, with you, through you. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking most specifically about a particular view that we take to the Bible that causes us to imagine things that God supports that he doesn't. Let me give you another view. Uh, has anybody seen this roughly? Now this is a caricature. This is, uh, this is uh, clip art-ish. Right? What might that be? The tablets, the Ten Commandments. Next, please, Jeff. <coughs> and we know, don't we, that uh, the Ten Commandments are made up of what? Ten. Yes, thank you. Ten laws. And next. And this is the Hebrew word on top of that slide for the word law, or what's called Torah. Everybody say Torah. So when we talk about the Torah... It's thought to be, in our minds, the law. Now, it's interesting that there are more than 10 laws, though. In fact, it's been counted, and they've been separated out and put, you know. There are 613 laws in the Torah. 613. Now, here's the thing. The Torah, or Pentateuch, is the first five books of the Old Testament, starting with Genesis, right? It isn't for 69 chapters. 69 chapters before you encounter the first law. Five books, 69 chapters in, you encounter the first law. And then after that, he gives them ten, they disobey, he gives them some more, they disobey those in their brokenness and hard hearts, and he gives them more, and then they, they mess it all up. And over five books, 613 laws are given, but watch this. Those books, though we refer to them in our English as the law, actually mean the teachings, the instructions the first five books, if you approach it as law code, will indeed produce slavery, will produce hierarchy in the home. Men are over women. Will indeed give you the permission you need to kill other people who are not like you and do not hold your religious beliefs. If you follow the first book, five books of the Bible as law code, it will produce all sorts of things that are ungodly and unchristlike. However, if on the other hand you approach it as the Hebraic mind did, which is that it's a story, you have a much different take on it. Let's go next slide, please, Jeff. So we have the law, then we have actually what's called the story. The first five books are called the Torah, which is 
a set of instruction or the story is a more correct word. That's how the Hebrews thought about it. And what is that story? Next slide. That love, that we're to love God and to love others. That was even in the Hebrew scripture. Jeff, next slide. And who was it that came and taught that you are to love God? First and greatest commandment, right, is what? Even Jesus upheld this. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. And the second greatest commandment is like unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Who taught that? Jesus did. So let's take a look at the law and the prophets and all of it as a story. Next slide, Jeff. So here's what you get if you take a look at the entire thing altogether. You have the law, but look. Look how it goes in and out from the Garden of Eden. It comes down. It goes through the individuals there, comes up. They get some of the original Ten Commandments. They break it. It, it. it goes down. They get some more commandments. It comes back up. So it's, it's a weaving. It's a story, okay? Those laws were never meant to be given to humankind as a means of relating to God. Never. And the Hebraic mind knew that. The rabbinical teachers knew that and never taught it as only the law, but the story of God, the narrative of God. Then we get into the prophets and, and how they work with the law, which the, the basic purpose of the prophet was this, to show forth the fact that the heart is hard and incapable of obeying 613 laws. We just can't do it. Nobody can. Nobody measures up. And then Jesus comes. Next slide, please. Then Jesus comes. And what does he do, everybody? Jesus, the fulfillment of the law. He taught us to love God and to love people. And Paul writes in Romans 13, the one who loves fulfills the law. For the first time, I stopped trying to be like God. I stopped trying to obey a law code and I simply love God and I love you. I just love you. I don't worry about what you're doing, what your religion is, how you're living your personal life, that's, that's between you and God. I choose to just love you. And Paul said, when you love God and you just love people, you are fulfilling the entire law. So, dear ones, here's what I want to say to you about all of that. The law was just a small part, just a demarcation in the whole story. And those laws were dropped into the story at various places throughout the story. And it's interesting that if, if the first five books called the Torah were to be known and recognized and embraced as the law, why for 69 chapters is there no mention of the law and all this other rich history and relationship with God and God moving in the world is going on prior to the law. See, the law is just dropped in there 
to do one thing. It's a school teacher. It's a schoolmaster to prove you cannot be like God in yourself. You, I, there's 613 laws here. You're going to break them all. And the prophet said, man, you guys are a mess. You've broken all the laws. And he gave you these things. He tried to help you, but you're just all a mess. You have a hard heart. You know what you need? They begin to prophesy this. There's going to be one who comes where God is going to give you a new heart and he's going to take his laws and he's going to put them inside of you. And you're no longer going to obey God from the outside. You're going to obey God by just loving him and loving other people. Is this making sense to anybody? Now, I told you at the beginning that I wanted to chat with you about a view of the Bible that this one single view would change everything else about your spiritual journey and how you relate to God. Do you see how this affects that? If you see the Bible as a book of laws and promises where you cherry pick the ones that appeal to you so that you can prove the particular lifestyle you support and that you believe in, well then you will easily be able to cast out the homosexual and you will easily be able to hate the homosexual and you will be easy and you will it will be easy for you to justify measures within the government and our legal system that excludes the homosexual or as some would prefer it would put the homosexual to death there are many christians many pastors and pulpits who would teach and prefer that the gays and the homosexuals amongst us, LGBTQ+, plus and IA, were put to death so society could be rid of this evil. And every one of them has a view of the Bible as I've described here, law code. Cherry-picking promises and making it all a legal, legal system instead of a story of God coming to humans when humans proved they couldn't he said I will for you and he sent Jesus who perfectly he said in his own words I've come to fulfill the law all the law and the prophets show that disclaimer slide not the disclaimer but the credit slide please um, these slides were provided by the Bible Project the Bible Project is a for free project of um, storytelling and uh, going through the Bible and it's very rich and wonderful they have podcasts they have these animated stories anyone can partake you go to the website you sign up it's free you can download everything you can watch things listen to it and I'll tell you what from children in nursery who could watch the videos to adults such as us you will gain so much about the Bible that you never knew it's called the Bible project and it's free 
and that's where I got these images. So it's a story, dear ones, not a law code. And secondly, it's a journey, not a personal victory march. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Here's the mirror translation of that. Every good deed has a predictable harvest. Let's not get discouraged in the in-between times. How many of you know there are in-between times? Between high points and low points. I didn't used to believe in that. I thought that as a faith-filled Christian, my faith was to take the promises of God, stand on them, make them real, and that if I did it and had enough faith and I believed correctly, every day would be victorious. And I would arrest and saddle my horse of victory in my personal march towards an abundant life. Somebody said, how's that working for you, Jeff? Well, I want to ask you, how's that working for you? Yeah. Oh, I know people who claim to be living that. And I know people who speak all of this and they speak all of that about law code and, and promises and how they're standing on this and standing on that and they're on their personal victory march and they are some of the sickest, living some of the most tragic, have had some of the worst experiences financially but boy they're still and they just will not give in and I understand that there's a point there's a place for you to to be steady and, and to encourage one another and to encourage yourself in the Lord and to say yeah but but God yes but God and, and I believe in that but to never approach life as the scripture talks about as seasonal and that just like the geese flying, I took a walk the other day with the dogs down to a little park and lake in our area. And the lake was just filled with geese. And then some of them took off and began to fly. And I realized something. Lee, they're not there all year. I only see them during this time. Where are they the rest of the year? I don't know, but it's not our season to have them here. And you know what? They know that. They're okay with that. And something inside of them says, it's time to go to Thornton and sit on the Marshall Lake and quack and I know geese don't quack, but they, they do what they do. They honk, they honk. Oh, this morning in my study getting ready. Oh, I don't know if you heard this. It was just, and I didn't want to get distracted and get up and look out the window, and I, I just wish I could have and gotten my camera. But there must have been flocks and flocks and flocks of them because they were making such continuous noise in flight. And isn't that interesting that we who have the Bible and a relationship with a living Jesus Christ don't know when it's our season to accept change. Whether it's bad or good, we've got to go through the season. Every season is not warm 
sometimes it's cold or sometimes it's very rainy but then that's going to give place to the flowers right here's a bad translation of Galatians 6 9 by the way I told you the one every good deed has a predictable harvest let's not get discouraged in between time show this bad translation Jeff here's one I don't even know what ER, uh, ERV stands I think everyone's um, something version yeah anyway um, e ERV yeah <laughs> I, I had never seen it before so uh, we're still, Jeff, looking for the ERV. D did I not get it in, in my slides? There it is. Okay, now watch this. Okay, here we go. We must not get tired of doing good. We will receive our harvest of eternal life at the right time. <laughs> Do you see the tie between good works and eternal life? And if you just stay in there and keep working for it, you're going to go to heaven. That is a terrible translation. Never, never. Just if, if you're prone to get bad translations, double check them a little bit. That's why there's, there's so many different translations and you need to read and study the Bible. And don't call it the Word of God. It's the Bible. Jesus is the Word of God and he's the only Word of God. Now watch this. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape so that you might be able to bear it. This is the first verse in the New Testament I ever memorized as a teenager. No temptation has taken you, but what is common unto man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above what you are able, but will with the temptation provide a way of escape. I remember it to this day. And here's what I remember about it. I was taught it as a proof text of morality to help me stay out of sin. As a teenager. As a teenager. And that's really hard. Because teenagers want to sin. <laughs> and it wasn't until I got free from proof texting and daily breading and law coding the Bible and started reading it as a narrative in a story that it dawned on me. No temptation is overtaken you. And you go, you study that out a little bit, and you find out that the word temptation doesn't have anything there, doesn't have anything to do with morality there. It's talking about tests and trials and changes in your season. And they're up and down. And what's the promise? Not that he'll deliver you out of them all and that you'll never have any change to seasons. His promise is that he'll be with you and you'll never go through something that's too great for you, but he'll be there in the middle of it with you. Why? Because he's an ordinary God.
would you do me a favor real quick? I need, you're about to do it, aren't you? Thank you. You've been spared, Tammy. Thank you. All right. And Jeff, I don't know, you might need to uh you, you might need to broaden that frame on that camera because I'll be up and moving around a little bit. Does anybody know what these are? <coughs> I know I'm a, yeah, choke me up so I'm I'm just so passionate about this. So I I know it's a little anticlimactic now <laughs> put them together in front of you do you know what these are these these are your daily expectations that God's got to do it a certain way and if he doesn't you lack faith you missed God God's presence has left and you know what I say stop proof texting stop reading the Bible in any other way than being a narrative and a story of how God has come to humankind and especially in the person of Jesus fulfilled all the requirements and set you free from living a life of expectation that's very liberating it took me 50 years to get to this place where I begin to open the door about 50 right yeah Nina will tell you today I'm I'm a I'm a much better guy <laughs> come on grant grant me a little bit be like the goose that embraces the season of change that's in your life whatever it is I don't know what you're going through but he does whatever you're going through he's with you in the middle of that something and he's going to bring you through no temptation has taken you but what is common people have been there before for my group where I grew up and what I taught as a pastor from my pulpit for the better part of 40 years charismatics are bent towards certainty and promise instead of trust I'm going to say that again charismatics on a whole tend to be bent on certainty and promise instead of just trusting I love the charismatic movement I am still part of the charismatic movement but I have realized so many deficiencies in the way that I used to view the Bible 
and in my personal walk with Jesus that was based on a view of the Bible and a view of change and seasons that was not healthy. True happiness comes when we focus on the now. Seasons might change. You might be in the middle of your darkest night or your brightest morning. And your brightest morning is, you're gonna, is going to change and your darkest night isn't going to last. But one thing will. You can put your arms around the legs of Jesus and hold on tight and say, I trust you. I trust you with everything going on in my life. Somebody said, sometimes I can't hardly get out of bed. I had an experience with that this past week when I got the flu. Now just, I want to tell my story here because this is from my vantage point and everybody knows that's what's important is my vantage point, right? So this thing comes on like a storm quick. Took me out Saturday. I buzzed Jill, said, this doesn't look good. Uh-oh. By Saturday evening, I knew I wasn't going to be able to be involved in any of the weekend services. I wouldn't be able to be involved in my performance parts that I had or be available for any of the multimedia or any of it. I was I, I just it took me out. This thing moved down into my chest. And I am laying in bed and all of a sudden I wake up. And I have this sick feeling like you get when you need to throw up. But I'm delirious. This stuff is going on and uh, I was sleeping in, a, in the guest room. And so I have my wits about me enough to throw my legs over the side of the bed because I'm thinking, if you don't get up and get down to the toilet and hug that baby, it's going all over. All right, you just, you, you, we've all had that moment. So I get my legs over the side of the bed, all right? And I'm thinking, I gotta get up, I gotta get to the toilet. Now this is just, this toilet is just out the, the guest room, bedroom door, and immediately on your right. It's just right there, okay? Okay, now, now, <laughs> that's the last thing I remember. And all of a sudden, I wake up, I am on the floor, and the dog is barking. And my wife is yelling at the dog to be quiet. Now, we live in a ranch, not ranch property, a ranch one-level home. She's in the master. The dogs are sleeping there. Very sensitive hearing. They start barking, in particular the boy dogs, making his way down the hallway. She's gotten up out of bed and is trying to quiet him. I can hear this. I woke up to it. And I reach my hand up to my face, and I'm laying in a pool of blood. And my nose is, my nose is all bloody. And I look down at the, the carpet where I'm laying, and there's blood all over the carpet. Now, the last thing I remember, I had thrown my legs over the bed, 
because I was going to get it up and go throw up. I wake up, the dog's barking. I have blood running around. And I'm thinking to myself, well, I can't just, this is, you know, it's going to, I got to at least get on my back. So I managed to get up on my knees. She's yelling at the dog. All of a sudden that stops. And I get up and I throw myself back on the bed so I'm on my back and the bleeding will stop. She comes down to the front door, checks the front door, makes sure it's locked, and goes back to bed. Now, I need to tell you something about this. I need to tell you something about this. The front door, if there weren't a little dividing wall there, I'd be able to see it from my room. So it's, it's just out my door, bathroom's on the right, you, you just exit that little, you know, two, three foot hallway, and there's the front door. She checks the front, I'm, I'm dying. I've been dying. She knows I'm dying. She knows I've been dying for days. I wake up. All I can hear is the dog. She quiets the dog, goes and checks the front door, goes back to bed. I'm laying now on my bed bleeding. We serve an ordinary God and he's involved in the ordinary things of our life. And I love him for that. I love him because he's ordinary. By the way, I lived. I lived despite, despite my wife and despite the devil's attempt. to take me out. I lived. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Happy New Year, right? <laughs> I think I'll be at the party. So, have you ever had somebody say to you, I couldn't even get out of bed? Now, the next time you are in a state and later in the week, I just had a depression come over me and I started thinking about my failures. I started thinking about missing Christmas and I started thinking about just things and it just, and, and you've all felt this. You've all had these moments. Here's what I want you to do the next time you find yourself in that place. Remember that even getting out of bed and putting one foot in front of the other is worship when you know the ordinary God who you don't have to impress anymore you don't have to please he's not in a box he loves you just how you are the story has been told you're part of it and he sent Jesus to redeem us out of all of the mess